My career sucks. Sex just isn't the same. What's my purpose? Where did this fat come from? My relationship is killing me. I'll never be happy. My debt is piling up. I'll never find love. Why can't I be like other gay guys? Hey guys, it's time to get a grip, stop whining, make a bold move, and do something amazing with your 40-plus gay life. Let's get to the show with your tell-it-like-it-is host, Rick Clemens, who does his best to never act like a dick or a diva unless you act like one first. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of 40 Plus Gay Men Gay Talk. It is time for that weekly little show where us 40-plus guys, gay guys, come together and we chat about whatever's going on in our crazy, mixed-up, fun, fabulous lives. And it can be everything from sex and relationships to careers to things we've done to screw up our lives to the great things that are happening. Everything is on the table. And I just want to remind you that if you want to be part of the real-time conversations, not just the podcast, you can join us at the beginning of each month, the first Monday of the month, when we get together live on Zoom for a 40 plus gay men, gay talk chat. And it's always a very fun time, good time, learn a little bit about one another. No, it's not a little sex orgy, but we do talk about some of that sort of stuff. So come and join us first Monday of each month. So speaking of things that we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I actually did that. Or, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is the first, second or third time that this has happened to me. Today's guest is going to get raw. He's going to get real. He has been part of the 40 plus chats on Monday nights, and he is willing and ready to share his journey as a gay man that just might not be too far off from where some of you guys have been and what he's learned about himself as he's aged about, you know what, I just don't have to be the life of the party with something in his system. So I just want to welcome one of my fans and one of my participants, Eric Swenson, all the way from Fort, where Fort Lauderdale, somewhere down there in the Florida area. But um, welcome, man, to the podcast. So glad to have you here. Well, thank you so much, Rick. And you hit the nail on the head right there down in Lottie Dottie, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Awesome. Awesome. So been there a few times myself and it's always a good time. And it's it's kind of interesting because everybody used to think, and I guess to some degree it still is that, uh, oh no, South Beach is where all the gays hang out. But Fort Lauderdale has really like become the gay Mecca, I think, in South Florida, right? Right. Yeah. Wilton Manors is uh, very predominantly um, gay. Now we're even further moving up north into Pompano is becoming a lot more, um, you know, like the gay Mecca. (laughs) Right, 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 right. So, yes, you have to present your gay card to even drive into Wilton Manors. That's just kind of the way it is down there. So um, but anyway, Eric, I'm so excited to have this conversation because you you really when you proposed this to me, you were like really open and honest about kind of where you've been yes he's gay guys so that's why we let him in the door he gets to talk about this stuff but um but you you got really real and raw about something that's gone on in your life so let's just start with you were a good little catholic boy right right yep uh, k through uh fifth grade i was in catholic school walked to school every day up in upstate new york and you know was the church was right next to the school and you know one teacher for kindergarten one teacher for first grade and it was supposed to be k through 12 until they closed after fifth grade wow so you did the catholic school stuff you were a perfect little angel all that sort of stuff and then suddenly when you grew up everything got corrupted you graduated you went off to the big city to have the big job and kind of just 
walk us into like, you know, you did, you came to California and did some stuff um, in law and all that sort of stuff. So talk about the kind of trajectory you kind of got going with life and then what came up for you, man. Sure. So, you know, right after high school, I moved down here to Fort Lauderdale and was really trying to figure out who I was. Um, I feel that everyone around me knew I was gay. However, I didn't want to accept it. And being raised Catholic, that was a big no-no. You know, I'm going to hell. I'm going to die. No man shall ever lie with another man as he would lie with a woman. Uh, That was ingrained in me for kindergarten to fifth grade. And so in the 90s, I moved here. And, you know, really, like you were mentioning earlier, I mean, once I got here, I started really hanging out and going to the clubs and realizing that there are a lot of gay men just like me out there. And I started to feel more comfortable. And I think the hardest person to come out to was myself. Um, So I was here for five years and really just did that and explored being gay and being comfortable in my own skin. Uh, I was only uh, 18, 17 or 18 when I moved here. Um, And and then I I, I think I just kind of got sucked into the party scene. And uh, after about five years of being down here, I moved back up to Rochester, New York, where I'm originally from. And my dad had said, you know, you never went to college and we would always be sharing, you know, a lot of beers and and alcohol. I came out to him actually with a bunch of his friends. We went out bar hopping and we were at one bar and it was just down to him and his friend, uh, best friend from high school. And his best friend said, well, you know, this bar is really cool. There's a lot of bi and and gay people that go here. And he's just flat out asked me, well, you're gay, right, Eric? I said, yeah, I'm actually supposed to go meet a guy over at a gay bar. And they're like, can we go? And I'm like, yeah. So that was my coming out to my dad. <laughs> it was very, wow. uh, you know, kind of easy, I guess, if you will. And and how was he with that? He, I really feel like was okay with it and really didn't have an issue. I mean, he's met, boy, you know, when I was dating up there, he's met boyfriends of mine. Um, however, I do feel that our connection now is a little broken because I feel like our bond, if you will, was always over alcohol. Mm. Um, so now we have a little bit more of a disconnected, I guess, if you will, relationship. Mm. That's interesting. And as the party, party, party scene started to become more of a way of life, then what did you start to unravel in your life as you started to make your professional moves? Cause it wasn't just like, okay, this is where I am. This is what I'm going to be. There was a, a first incident that really kind of woke you up to some degree. Right. That, uh, like you said earlier, when, when I moved to California, I moved to Los Angeles, right. Same thing. Right after I graduated college, the day after graduation, I packed up my car and I drove from New York to Los Angeles and Right away, it was shortly about six months of living there. I got a really good gig working at a trial consulting firm. I had friends from college moving out a year later. It was just, it was great. I mean, you're living in Los Angeles. I mean, that's what I went to school for was broadcasting and film. And even though I got, I didn't quite get a job in that industry, I still was doing video production just for law firms. So it was a great job. I was on top of the world and you know, the alcohol and the booze and the partying still were flowing, but I'm getting a little older. And, and then uh, January of 2010, uh, 
the red and blue lights were behind me and I got my first DUI uh, in January 31st of 2010 over in Los Angeles, right out in front of Hollywood Bowl. I was zip, zip dyed my hands. Never forget that about 3.30 or 4 in the morning. Was there a concert going on at the Hollywood Bowl and everybody was just coming out or just? (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully not. I I had been with some college friends and, you know, we, I was doing it the right way, maybe if you will. And we were being responsible. I wasn't drinking, but a girl uh, took me back to my car. I was like, well, I want to go back and party. And she's like, well, I want to go and hook up with this guy. So I went back, partied a little bit more. And I was like, all right, I'm going home. Well, I went home and I, shouldn't have because I was lost. I really didn't really know how to get home. And I got on, I think the 101 and I actually almost ran over police officers, but two of them were flashing their lights because there was a car accident. I thought it was somebody coming down the wrong way. So I think I yelled and screamed something out the window and they got in their cars and came right after me and pulled me over right in front of Hollywood Bowl. And that was a DUI number one, I guess we'll say in 2010. (laughs) What was the first thought you had as you realized this is actually what's going down? Was it like, okay, I'll get through this or, okay, this is never going to happen again. What was the thing that in that moment you were thinking other than, oh shit, probably. I, I think for me in that moment and at that time, it really was, wow, do I have a problem? And I started doing all the online quizzes with, you know, the little tests that, that say, have you ever blacked out? Have you ever puked or have you ever forgotten where your car is? All these little tests. That, and then at the end, it says, you may have a drinking problem, a moderate, you may have heavy. And I still, I think at that point in time, I still was getting like a moderate drinking. And of course, my college friends were all doing it. And they, right. Eric, you're fine. You're, you're fine. You just got caught. You, it happens. But you know, it really made me took a little bit closer look at my life and, and where I wanted to go. And um, I was only in Los Angeles for a few more months before the company I was working for transferred me to Florida for here. And once I moved to Fort Lauderdale, I really just kind of started right back where I left off. I mean, I was good for a few months. I did AA, did all the court stuff, got all of that stuff out of the way. And then once I was here, my typical default for moving to a place where I don't know anybody is meeting them online, meeting guys online, Adam for Adam, Craigslist, go to a bar, meet up with them. I've even had incidents where maybe somebody didn't show up and somebody at the bar was like, hey, what's going on? Are you waiting here for somebody? I said, yeah, I think I got stood up. Oh, hey, we'll buy you a drink and became good friends with them. And, and it just kind of like snowballed um, down and down. <laughs> so it's in, it's interesting because I've had family members who have gone down this route. I've had good friends who have gotten close to being, you know, alcoholics and seen it, but, but Jen just not really being quote conscious of it. By the time you started really quote becoming conscious that, okay, this is, I'm taking the quizzes and stuff. Was there a moment when you're like, okay, this is going to stop and I'm going to do this. But then you found yourself like, okay, now I'm right back to where I was. Cause it sounds like when you came back to Fort Lauderdale, it was like, okay, I knew this, but then suddenly here I am right back in the same old space. 
Right. And, and I really feel like it goes into ties into your most recent podcast, the one about the loneliness for me, it was always about building a connection and it was my way of meeting people. I could go out, I could have a few drinks, loosen up. And if I move to a place where I don't know anyone, I mean, it was just the thing to do. You go to a gay bar, you know, you meet somebody. Um, I think that was the hardest part for me was that loneliness and the connection. Um, but I was always just so controlling where I needed to drive home. I need it no matter what state of mind I was. I even had friends that, you know, tried pulling over and getting into my driver's seat and I still wouldn't let them. Um, so I think the connection and the loneliness is what always led me back to the drink, the alcohol. And I think that's what happens for many people. It doesn't really matter whether you're gay or not, but the loneliness and feeling disconnected, there's something about whether it's sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever the addiction is, it fills a quote void in your life. And you begin to believe that this is the only way I can fill that void. And I know some personal family members of mine who have gone through that and even when we talk about it, they're like, yeah, I just didn't feel connected. And that was the only thing that made me feel connected, but not necessarily in some cases, yes, to other people. In other cases, it was more connected to the, to life in some way. And in some cases it was, I could be disconnected, but it didn't hurt, you know? Right. And I think it's an interesting fascination in how we all do this in different ways. And whether your quote unquote unadmitted addiction is alcohol or drugs or sex or watching TV or isolating, playing video games or whatever it is, it always seems to stem, at least the experiences I've seen and witnessed and been a part of, there seems to stem that piece of connectedness, feeling alone, uh, wanting to be part of something but never feeling like you really fit in so here's i almost hate to ask this question because i kind of know the answer but even in those states of mind did you really feel connected or was that just an illusion of the alcohol i think it was definitely an illusion of the alcohol that you felt connected um, and even when I moved back here, I had started hanging out with friends that I had partied with back in the nineties when I first moved here. And again, one of them, you know, we just got together and drank that. I don't even think we would have a friendship outside of that. It was just, that's what we did. So I definitely think that a lot of the connections and I, I really don't talk to a lot of those people because I feel like our friendship was based around alcohol that's all it was um going out partying and things like that and and it's interesting because i've been around so many gay men who are like yeah this is just what we do i'm like okay i get it i'm not and i'm not a prude i'm by i mean i i love my wine and i enjoy it but i also find it really fascinating when and this is not knocking our gay culture but there's so many people that this is the only way they can connect. We got to show up at, you know, the bar, we got to be at the Abbey in West Hollywood, or we got to be at Rawhide or wherever it is. And, and I'm not knocking those things, but 
I'm going to invite people who are listening to this to think about if that's the only connection you have with somebody, are you really connected? Are you right. really connected at your core? So let's kind of move ahead. So you had this DUI, you come back to Florida and you just couldn't, couldn't resist the little shiny red and blue lights. Could you? Right. Exactly. That's very well. Yeah, you're exactly right. So here we are in Florida back to my old shenanigans ran into, you know, good friend of mine from the nineties who we both were big drinkers and in 2013, lo and behold, you know, we're up in West Palm Beach partying it up and we wanted to go and score some stuff down in Fort Lauderdale. And we had this great idea. Let's drive to Fort Lauderdale, you know, like an hour away when we're shit based and got off 95 and was speeding and got pulled over. And sure enough, um, you know, this time I don't even know why I blew into uh, you know, I blew over a 0.15 and that was 2013. Uh, for my second DUI um, here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And I got really, really lucky that they never even found out about my DUI in California. So I was charged as if it was a first one and it was a little bit harsher. I had to have an interlock ignition for six months because I blew over 0.15. That's like a law down here that you have to, it's mandatory that you have to have an interlock for six months if you blow over a 0.15. So I just love those red and blue lights. And you know, it's not Wonder Woman, it's the police. (laughs) So this happens. So what happens to the rest of your life? So this one happened and this is what I call my, I can be a normal drinker and moderate phase. And this is when I really, really tried hard and feel like at times I was able to go out and have that one or two drinks and be fine for the night. However, there were times where I still, I just, alcoholics just don't have that shutoff valve. And there's such a stigma in society that we say alcoholic and people just think under a bridge and they have a, a brown bed. I literally yep. will, will fast forward to 2018. I got a third DUI in 10 years because you know what? Moderating wasn't cutting it. And I, it happened again. And this time was really the nail in the coffin. And I have a lot of consequences I'm dealing with that has been a blessing in disguise. Um, and you know, I just feel like we do, we get so lonely where the, the next step is always to call those friends that you know are, you're going to have a good time, but are you really connected to them? And is that time a really good time when, you know, you black out, you don't remember what you did, um, you act a fool when you go out. And, you know, for me, um, these two, these past two years, because March 9th, now I'll have two years of sobriety, have really been a lot more about loving myself and really allowing the people in my universe who truly do love me. And I do feel a real connection with, um, and so you brought up that it's been a blessing. I'm, I'm feeling like you kind of started talking about that, like, you know, the people in your life and all that sort of stuff, but give us a little more ideas around like, because I know some people are like, how can you say this is a blessing and others are going to be like sitting there shaking their head going, yep, I hear you, bro. I hear exactly what you mean. So for someone who's like, I can't quite wrap my head around, how is this a blessing? Why don't you give us a little insight into that, man? Sure. I feel that, you know, you have more of a clear head 
and you really allow people in your life that are going to be positive and that are thankful and happy that you're sober instead of the ones that want to get blackout drunk with you, want to be promiscuous, want to, you know, just kind of do some pretty dangerous stuff if you really think about it once you have a clear head. And I, I mean, I don't have the greatest job or a good career, but you know what? I have a job and I'm making good money. I'm able to pay my bills. I have a roof over my head. I have plenty of food on the table. I have clothes. You know, you have to be thankful for those things. And, you know, for me, it was always binge drinker. I was always a celebratory binge drinker. Not when I get down, not when I get depressed. Holidays, birthdays, I'm that party guy. Woohoo! Eric's coming over. Oh, shit. This is going to be a wild night. Woo! And, you know, you just, you kind of get away from that. And you realize that you have so much more to be thankful for just in life in general. And I know it kind of sounds hokey and like, you know, I'm not Oprah or anything, but you know, you really, you just start having a clear head and you really just kind of grow up too. I mean, I'm not getting any, I'm 42. I know it may not be that old, but still, you know, my body can't handle the outcome, you know, what it used to be able to handle when I was in college and I'm just destroying my mind and my body. And it, it just, you finally get to a point where it's just like, cut it out. When are you going to learn your lesson? Like three times. I mean, some people get it after the first DUI. It took me three times in this entire path to get here, to get where I am today. So I'm really, really curious. You were the celebratory guy. So now what do you, you exchange that with to still be able to be that celebratory guy? You know, my personality has really come out when I'm not drinking. So I still can be that life of the party because you know what? I am funny. I am charming. I do know how to have a good time. You don't need the booze. Um, you know, when I do get excited or celebratory, you know, I'll grab a pair, pack of M&Ms, grab some ice cream. Um, you know, you learn how to cope with things. If things get too stressed or if I'm feeling anxious, you know, I know it sounds horrible, but it's better than a drink like St. Patrick's Day. For some reason this year, I just I was feeling antsy. And, you know, you got to You got to be we got to be kind to ourselves. You know, this is something I did for 20 years was drink every time on holidays, events, birthdays, birthday parties. So, you know, it's OK to feel that way again. You know, I don't know if you want to call it a trigger or craving, but I just I felt like I wanted to be bad. I wanted to do something bad. So I ran and got, I don't drink a lot of coffee. So that to me is bad. And I got some cigarettes, which is horrible, but you know, that's better than where I would have ended up if I went and drank. Um, so you do find other ways and other avenues to kind of celebrate um, and with a clear head as well. And I think that's the thing is to give yourself some grace. So many people who go through different things like losing weight or giving up alcohol or whatever it might be. And then when they quote unquote fell, then they just beat the shit out of themselves. And as I was listening to you, it's kind of interesting because we were out <clears throat> for brunch with some friends this past weekend. And because it's Lent and everything, one, the one friend would say, Oh, I can't have bread because I've given that up for Lent. Well, I can't have that because I give it up for Lent. I, you know, and by the end of the meal, he's like, I know I've said this several times, but I can't have this bread thing because I've given that up for Lent. And he goes, I almost, I almost, you know, had some, but I just couldn't do that. 
And I just was kind of thinking, great on you. Go do what you got to do. But also give yourself some grace. Just because sometimes I think we overstep in our, oh my gosh, you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this. And then, and I know you, we've talked about this on the group calls when we had our group get togethers in the beginning of the month where we get into these conversations about this sort of stuff. And sometimes we just need to give ourselves that bit of grace. It's okay to have that thought. Now, the beauty of what you just shared was that you said, and I didn't go there. I went and I got the coffee and I went and got some cigarettes and I went and I did this. But for you, all those things in somebody else's mind, even you kind of said it, okay, that's not that good for me either. And cigarettes sure aren't good for me. But it was better than where you could have ended up because hypothetically speaking, if you had drank and got behind the wheel and got pulled over again, what are the consequences this go around? Yeah, I, I, you know, Rick, it's funny because I, I literally just today, I mean, here we are two years later and I have not had a car. I've not had a license. So just today I had the hardship hearing over the phone and she kind of threw me a curveball and I have to do this special services supervision program because uh, I won't have a full license for 10 years, not until 2029. Um, now, some of the things I need to do is get a breathalyzer for two years, mm-hmm. um, you know, which another that's I'm looking at it like that's another resource to keep me in check. Because um, yep. knock on wood, you know, I have to be thankful that I never hurt anyone. I never hurt yep. myself. I could have been, you know, I could have not had legs. I, who knows? Right. Um, and I know we all do it. I get it. A lot of the times through all these DUIs, people I was hanging around with, oh, Eric, you just got caught again. Yeah, you know, it's uh, no big deal, no big deal. But, you know, it does start becoming a big deal. And especially when you start getting older, your body just can't handle as much as you did in college, you know? And you have to be kind to yourself as well. Um, You know, it's just, for me personally, it just, I don't have that shut off valve. You know, I wish I did, but I don't. And I finally come to terms with that, that, it's okay. I'm going to be okay. I don't need to, you know, conform, you know, I can still go out to a bar now. I mean, it took me a while. Don't get me wrong, but I can go to like dirty diva bingo. I mean, I live in the freaking game Mecca. There's tons of stuff to do. do. I mean, there's tons of stuff to do. Why should I not go to events and ways to meet guys just because I don't drink? I just have a mocktail or I have a Red Bull or, you know, it's a bar. How do you think they make mixed drinks? Give me a Diet Coke. Give me a right. Sprite. Right. Not a big deal. Yeah. Um, and I think for me personally, we, in the beginning of sobriety, and I always, I help people now. I'm on a steering committee and um, I do an LGBT monthly uh, webinar as well for the recovery community I'm in. But it's funny because when you first start, you feel like so many people are going to judge you. And I kid you not, I can probably count on my one hand how many times people have really laid into me and been like, what, you're not drinking? Why aren't you drinking? What's okay? If you say, no, I want to, you know, I'm having a Sprite. Oh, you're not going to drink? No, I'm not drinking tonight. And the conversation moves on. That's it. That's it. And and I would venture a guess, because this is human behavior stuff. Anybody who is going to make a big deal about it, it's a direct reflection of what's going on for them. Yes. Yep, exactly. It's their own self, their self- reflecting on you they may think they have a problem 
it since you're like that. Right. And um, so now here's this guy who's not going to have a drink, which is probably something I've thought of many, many times. Maybe I need to be thinking about, should I be having a drink? Da, 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 da. And then suddenly you show up and you become the easy target. And now, oh, I don't have to think about this because I can make this one the you know brunt of my anger or whatever. And it is horrible. I mean, I my dad, for all intents and purposes, was an alcoholic. Never went to AA. He was a mean drunk. And I can't tell you how many, you know, it's a, a, it's amazing that he never got a ticket, that he never hit anybody. He never wrecked a car. I mean, there was a couple of times the car kind of got wrecked, but nothing. I mean, and we lived in Colorado. We lived right on the Colorado river. There were many times that he would be driving down along the river from Aspen towards where we lived. And then, or from where we lived to grand junction, which anybody who knows that, that section of the country knows you literally take I 70 right along the river. And I remember being in the car numerous times with him and just going, we're not going to make it home. I just know we're not going to make it home. And it's those moments when you start to realize you can see it in somebody else. And I've been in bars, experienced what you've experienced, where somebody will say, oh, not having a drink. And oh, so you're the party pooper. You're the Debbie Downer, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, this has nothing to do with the person who just said, I'm not going to have a drink. Right. It has and everything to do with the person who's making the biggest issue out of it. It's true. And I think too, you know, as the years have progressed and as I've gone on, I've really let go of a lot of the, the people I used to hang out with. So for me, it's almost kind of weird when someone would question it just because my universe is filled with people who don't give a shit. You know, it's not a big deal. And even if they bring some of their friends that drink, they still, it, it's just, it's not that big of a deal. Um, right. And the same thing, you know, with my dad. And I mean, I don't blame him, but I think as you, you know, when you're being raised, you see certain things. So after my parents got divorced and my dad got remarried, you know, it would be very, very normal for us to drive down to the cottage and him and my stepmom would be having a cocktail on the way down, driving, you know, with a glass of um, champagne with raspberries in it. That was very normal. So I think too, you know, maybe subconsciously, I think maybe too, for a long time, I thought, hey, <laughs> you know, my dad, he's, I was born like this, you know, I was raised around this. You do kind of feel like, you know, it's okay. Um, Cause I just never, I never really uh, understood how I got to this point where I got three of them in the span of 10 years. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. And it happened. I really hate saying, I used to hate when people would say that it is what it is, but I'm here now. And I'm thankful to be alive. You know, I don't think that would have been at all possible um, if I would continue to drink. Yep. Yep. So what are you most grateful for? Right now, I would have to say, honestly, at times I'm grateful to be alive. I mean, there's a lot more to the story and, and just kind of some of the things I've overcome. I mean, treatment, I had to wear for a year, uh, this ugly ankle monitor that, you know, re every half hour it, it vibrates and it takes like a, uh, epidural skin test. I mean, it doesn't hurt, but you know, that's for reading your alcohol. I mean, so much stuff that I've overcome and, I just, I'm thankful to be alive. I still maybe don't know what my purpose is here yet. Um, you know, but I'm grateful to even be on this podcast. I mean, I love the monthly webinars and, you know, even the, in the beginning of your podcast, you know, it just, it spoke to me when it says, 
you know, where did this fat come from? I'll never find love. My career sucks. Mm-hmm. Those are all things that I have had in my head. So, I mean, I'm just so grateful to be, you know, a, a guest on your podcast. I just, I've been loving them and the monthly webinars too. You know, it's interesting and thank you for all that. I'm so, I'm so glad you, you've become part of the bigger family, so to speak. But it's also very interesting to me to ask the question, what are you most grateful for? And most people will somewhat pause, which to me is just an interesting thing. And you didn't, you just dove right in. And this is where I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit, guys. I wish more of gay men, especially gay men over 40, would really start to say what they're grateful for. Because most of us over 40 we didn't have to go through, quote unquote, the AIDS epidemic. Most of us over 40, like if you're in your early 40s, you didn't have to go through the Stonewall riots eras. Now, there's most, a lot of us over 40 that those were your years. But to be able to say, I can talk about those years and I can share about those years. I'm grateful that I can be a part of what leads to those years being discussed. There's so many different things that I believe that we as gay men should be grateful for that sometimes we're not. And one of the things that I feel like this conversation has kind of brought us to is being grateful for being gay. Because maybe, just maybe, and and I'm not discounting everything that Eric's gone through, but maybe if he hadn't have been gay, who knows how his alcoholic life may have turned out. He got to do it in some ways that he was welcomed in a community and he was embraced. And not that I'm saying you can't get that outside of the gay community, but I also feel like, and again, I don't want this to sound stereotypical, but there's a lot of people in our community, a lot of people in our community who are in recovery, who own the badges of I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict. And they go and they make a beautiful life because they know what they're meant to be here on the earth. And you said you haven't found your passion and stuff yet. It's there. It just may not be like neon blinking like on the the runway on RuPaul telling you what you're supposed to be, but it is there and it's reaching deep into you. And, you know, I know having lived through some of this myself, so my own father and another individual, a couple of individuals in my own immediate family, I know that having been exposed to all this has at least helped me see what my addictions look like. It's helped me own what I use as my way of escaping, my way of not feeling lonely, my way of loving myself in a way that actually isn't the best way for me. And as angry and as frustrated as I used to be with my father and even through the years where there was no acceptance and actually I came very close to being my dad because in the years where he did not, he and my mother did not accept me, man, I drank. I mean, I had my nights where I blacked out. I had my nights where I woke up in a couple of guys' beds. I'm like, what was, who, where am I? And what am I doing in this bed? There was nights that I I barely made it home. And the next day I had to go pick up my kids. Now, I never once drove with those kids in the car. But there were days that this could have been my destiny. 
But I also give thanks for all the friends of mine who rallied around me and kept saying, but Rick, don't let that be the reason. Don't let that be the reason that you can't love yourself as a gay man. And I think that's part of what we do on this talk show or talk show podcast is we really encourage guys to bring their stuff to the forefront, to share, to say, this is my wound and I'm, I'm here wide open letting you see it, whatever that wound may be. And one of the things that I feel like, Eric, you've shared today, that's just very, very beautiful. And even, even in his bio that he sent me that he can still be the life of the party without the booze to own that, to own who you are, regardless of what you may have quote given up. And I think you just demonstrated that you haven't really quote given up. You've just shifted things in a different way in your life. Yeah. Yeah, you you take the good, the bad, and the ugly, and and honestly, Rick, you know you there are a lot of people out there, and I, whatever program you do, whether you AA or Refuge Recovery, it doesn't always even have to be about that. I I found I go out now almost every weekend to brunch with a bunch of guys, and they know I don't drink. Now I don't care if they have mimosas or whatnot. And generally, we all have coffee and waters, but it is possible when you feel like it's impossible that you'll ever make friends again, because you're just, you know, you're so immune or you're so used to going to bars and meeting guys. I can't tell you, I mean, maybe it's because I live in gay Mecca and there are other options, but you know, I think if you do look for something you're passionate about, like, you know, I, I like to go to brunch. It doesn't have, mean I have to have five freaking mimosas and two mm -hmm. bloody Marys. Um, and I tell the guys up front, and it's not, I, I think the very first time I went to brunch, I had mentioned, oh no, I'm sober. And I, I, you know, I just, I'm almost at two years. That was back in a couple months ago. So no big deal. None right. of them said anything. They didn't care. Um, and so it is possible, you know, to get back out there and get on the horse and, you know, people are going to love you for all the good, the bad and the ugly, you know? One of the things I always have just, and you just kind of brought it up and I hadn't thought about it in a while. So I'd say one of the things I always think about, but I do think about it. Anytime the word impossible comes up, this is my little quote. And I, I guess it's mine. I, maybe somebody else said it and I've adopted it as my own, but I always look at it this way. The impossible is the moment. The possible is standing in the shadows waiting for you to see it. Right. Right. Because anything, anything is possible. We just have to buy into it from a different perspective as a human being. Right. And you can do it. And you, you know, it's almost like if you, it, even if you take that word apart, like impossible, I'm possible. Yes. I'm possible. You know, I, I can do this without drinking. And it took me a long time. I mean, you heard my story. You know, this isn't like, uh, you know, trust me, I, I've learned from my mistakes. And sometimes you don't learn the first time or right. the second time. Or the <laughs> third, trust me. Or the third. It takes multiple. Um, but, you know, you grow. And, you know, now it's all about who can I be? Can How can I be the best version of me? How can I be the best version of me? And, um, just to quickly touch on what you said too about, I love where our gay community has gone. I love seeing kids being able to go to the prom and, and two guys and two girls. I love that. I never had that. I, I hung out with women and that, they were kind of my defense, you know, that I always hung out with the bad girls and, you know, they would beat somebody up if they, you know, say anything about me. But um, 
you know, I love where our community is, has gone. I just, I love seeing where we are now, right now in this world. And I wish we would just begin to continue or begin and continue to embrace where we are and, and show the world that for all our flaws, because we're all flawed, regardless of gay, straight, whatever it may be. But the more we embrace the human experiences, the more we each can learn. You know, there's things that you brought up this, this lovely time that we've spent together where it's got me thinking about stuff I haven't thought about in years. And for each person who hears this today, I hope that whether you're struggling with alcohol or maybe you're struggling with sex addiction or maybe you're an addict in some other realm of your life, I, it could even just be I all I do is eat cookies every night and then I hate on myself every morning when I wake up and go, okay, today's the day I'm not going to have a cookie. Well, what if today's the day I'm not going to have two cookies? I'm going to have one. Today's the day I'm going to be happy that if I make it to the end of the day and I decide I'm going to have a drink, but I'm not going to have three, it starts somewhere. And yes, maybe like in Eric's case, it's the red and blue lights in the mirror, <laughs> but something's going to be your wake up call. I know I had a stroke two years ago and that was one of the biggest wake up calls. And, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be just grateful for every day I got for whatever it is. Am I in my best shape? No, not right now, but I'm working on it. But every day that we have is a day for each of us, especially, especially, I believe, us gay men over 40, to be grateful and to do what we get to do each and every day and go, I got through this. Now, what do I get to go through today and come out the other end looking good as well? So thanks so much for sharing yourself today, man. I so appreciate you saying Rick, I want to do this because I, I put a call out on the podcast. He came to one of the calls. As soon as I reminded everybody that I was looking for guests, it was literally the next day. And Eric, I just want to say thank you for sharing, being vulnerable and, and sharing your story with us. No, absolutely, Rick. It was my pleasure. And I'm, I'm so thankful that to even be on this podcast. I just, I adore you. And I, I love our month, the monthly chats that I've been going to and um, the podcast. I'm not even all the way done with all of them, but I, I'm getting through them. And it, it's, it, it's been a blessing and a, and a pleasure to be here. I, I can't thank you enough. No, thank you again, man. No problem. Anytime. That's a wrap for 40 plus gay men, gay talk where size doesn't matter. We drop our bullshit, get over our screwed up fears, make bold moves, and live life without apologies. Don't forget to join us on Facebook at 40 Plus Gay Men Gay Talk, where the conversations continue.